G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Connecting faith to life. Vision. The story. Because of my own adoption and, and some of the pain around my own adoption and then through the sexual abuse during my childhood, etc., is uh, really the whole understanding of, of masculine and masculinity in the men's world was very frightening to me. You know, I'd always run for the girls' parts in plays at school and different things. I was very creative. I was very artistic. So I just sort of, in a sense, I hid behind a creative bend in some way or other. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and welcome to The Story. Today we need to begin with a warning for parents that due to the adult themes that will be discussed, it is not recommended for young listeners. We're going to hear James share his troubling story of growing up in England and being sexually abused by a teacher. Then he became addicted to pornography and alcohol. As a young adult, he lived as a gay man for several years in London until one day he attended a prayer meeting and things began to change. James is chatting and sharing his amazing story of transformation with Eric Scatterbo. James, welcome to the program. It's great to be here with you today. I'm delighted to be with you. Glad to have you with us, and let's go back to your childhood. What was life like growing up in England? Well, it's even just hearing that introduction, uh, was it traumatic? It was indeed. It was very traumatic. And yet on the other side of things as well, there were so many good things about it. Let me perhaps explain that a little bit for you. Um, Look, the circumstances even around my own birth were pretty challenging, to say Mm -hmm. the least. Uh, My mother, back in the very late 60s in the north of England, ended up pregnant from a love affair. She was actually a married woman at the time. The long and short of it is this, is she gave birth early to me, and uh, with the birth coming on two months early, then the nurses said, I'm afraid you've got two babies. So that was a shock to begin with, and then my twin sister was born. Um, She was unable to look after us, so she literally left us at the hospital to be incubated before being fostered, before being in an orphanage and then adopted. But we were adopted into an amazing family. It was a beautiful Anglican family where my own parents, my new parents, had three of their own blood children, aged five, three and two. So there were five children in this house, two girls, three boys, aged between, if you like, zero and five. And it was an amazing place, an amazing upbringing. There was oceans and oceans of love. Um... The challenge really for me came um, really around the age of eight when um, I ended up being sexually abused by a teacher in my primary school at that time. Uh, A lot of grooming went on. The long and short of it Mm -hmm. is, is that went on for three years. Parallel to that, a friend of the family, an older friend, was also abusing me. Now, the thing is this, is I'd learned to keep all of this stuff very, very secret mm. because I'd been groomed to believe this was my fault. We're hearing this story now through uh, through other uh, stories from survivors uh, across the world, not just here in Australia, but elsewhere as well. But the, the challenge became this is I kept all of this very, very secret. Now, mm. this in some way, this was, this was deeply wounding my heart mm. all the time. It was giving me a wrong impression of who I was to be before God and before others as well. And so literally, um, the only way I can describe it is I was probably like a beautiful-looking car that had smoke glass windows. From the outside, from the externals, everything looked fine. 
I was a scholar at school. I was doing very, very well. And because I was doing very well at school, nobody really noticed or could see what was happening deep underneath. But deep down inside, I was dying. So it was that beautiful car that was parked there, but really it mm. didn't have an engine or it didn't have the fuel, but nobody was saying, you can't drive it. <laughs> <laughs> Although to some extent, to say my life continued. But so really, by the time I hit puberty, I was in an enormous amount of pain. I don't want to labour this point too much really with you, but, you know, adoption is a difficult and challenging thing. It has its own wounding to some extent, however good a circumstance it is that somebody's adoption ends up being. You know, it's a, a benevolent response in many ways, adoption, to what can be a challenging situation. But even in the midst of that benevolence and that goodness, there's still a wounding or a scar that happens there. Did you feel abandoned to um, some look, extent? In, in, to some extent... To some extent, yes, I did feel abandoned. I don't know that I could have put my finger on that at the time. I'd always felt very loved by my parents, but now um, I laugh with my twin sister before our parents and we talk about the ways in which we literally constantly tested their love. And we were constantly testing mm. their love, almost saying, do you really love us? Do you really love us? Now, in many ways, this was mirroring what happens for each one of us in our journey of relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in some way, we all test God as to say, mm. do you really want to adopt me? Mm. If, you, if you really knew me, don't tell me that Jesus would sign that adoption form with his blood. But the, but the Father is saying, but he has. Mm. I've already given you my name. I've already given you my inheritance. But let's go back to that childhood a little bit. Yeah. So by the time I hit puberty, I'm really struggling. Now, in the midst of the sexual abuse, even as an eight, nine, ten-year-old, and we're talking nearly three decades well, I, ago. I just wanted to see if I'm getting a handle on what's going on inside of you. Yeah. So you're kind of feeling possibly abandoned by your biological mother and not sure whether your adopted parents really love you. I'm challenging them, them and testing them. And so, then all of a sudden a teacher starts abusing you. That's right. Confusing you even further. Like, that's well, right. What, am, and there's, and there's like, a double, do I have value? There's, there's a double thing going on here. In mm -hmm. some way, by the teacher's attention, I'm feeling I do have value. because he's oh, given in a me twisted, this, sick kind but, of way. But what happens is is because I've got a wall around my heart, and therefore, in a way, I'm kind of keeping my parents at a distance. And mm. some kids do. Some kids just aren't very effective, you know, engaging kids. And you just, you clothe them, you feed them, you love them, you give them what you can. But they just feel a little bit distant. Mm. And that's partly where I was. But that meant that inside of myself, I was hungry for attention. Mm. And I think, therefore, that's what the teacher was doing. He was playing on this. And um, as tough as it might be to hear for some listeners, you know, it's inappropriate that a child is brought into a place of arousal, but that's where what's mm. what our bodies are created like. So I was inappropriately aroused, and mm. of course it felt good. So did I, did I enjoy the abuse? Of course I didn't. But I also had to face, and many of us do as survivors of abuse, the fact that something pleasurable to some extent was happening to me, but I hated it because the circumstance was wrong. I couldn't process it. It was totally incorrect. It was, it was wrong. That had to be completely confusing. And you I haven't totally even confused. reached puberty yet. I hadn't even reached puberty. And, and because this Which is... Which is a very confusing absolutely. state for everybody. <laughs> very, very confusing. So for me, look, you know, I, I was literally layered and layered with, with confusion and, and, and incredibly mixed messages. Now, remember, mm -hmm. all the time I'm in a Christian school. I'm hearing the gospel message. So it's message. supposed to be good? It's supposed to be good. Well, all I'm knowing is that God is good and God's always good to us. And I can't quite figure out why... Why all this bad stuff is kind of mm. happening to me? Now, what I also didn't say Another is, layer of confusion. Another layer of confusion. And yet, even at the age of 13, at that time in the UK, I got a scholarship 
to a a top private school so therefore again on the outside it looks like i'm excelling james is doing fine isn't he doing well it's, everything's great but inside of myself i'm dying mm. and of course i've been exposed to so much pornography not like the stuff we see online today thanks be to god but but even then just even the black and white photographs and lots of words because it's inappropriate for a child to be sexualized certainly pre-puberty so i'm literally being layered with shame after shame after shame around my own body around my understanding of myself so by the time i hit 13 14 i'm dabbling in stealing bits of alcohol from the cupboard um i'm trying to find to kill the pain to kill the pain i'm just trying to numb the pain inside i don't really know where it's coming from and i've stuffed that pain down I think what's also perhaps very interesting to say to people, particularly in the light of many countries now um, addressing issues, and again, particularly in the church as well, around childhood sexual abuse, is we, we, we're talking today often of what happened 30, 40 years ago. And the church and the Christian community is being castigated for not having responded to some of the abuse issues that rose. Well, let me tell you this. At the age of 11, I went to my head teacher, a good Christian man, and I said, this teacher is messing around with me sexually. So I got the vocabulary for that even mm -hmm. at 11. The teacher's response, the head teacher, he was a good man. But he said, right, the teacher's going to have to go. I didn't quite understand what he meant by that. But all I know is within three days, the teacher was gone from the school. And he'd also, I since learned, had been removed from the teaching register. So the head teacher was diligent about acting upon what I said to him. But what didn't happen is this, is nobody ever came back and said to me, are you okay? Mm. Nobody. So I got another message that even in the midst of my pain, really, I wasn't of that much value, mm. which, of course, then turned me additionally in some way or increasingly towards the alcohol, etc. So I began to think, well, this is just who I am. Let's fast forward just a little bit. At the age of 14, I found myself calling something called the Lesbian and Gay Switchboard in the UK. And um, I had these intense, strong sexual feelings towards other guys i was being drawn towards any form of pornography that that may display men in any way whatsoever and i was saving up my clothing allowance my parents were trying to teach us good finance and therefore said you learn to need to be responsible so they'd give us additional money to be able to buy things for ourselves and i was deliberately trying to save my money so i could go and buy you know explicit pornography because that was fueling my desires etc um, but at the age of 14 i called the lesbian and gay switchboard and, and i said look i think i'm gay and they said oh, we believe you are um and I just took that as, in a sense, as gospel, for one way of putting it. I just thought, well, they seem to care about mm. me and love me. What really saddens me, and this is a real wake-up call for the church today, is this, is there are 13, 14, 15-year-olds or even younger who are thinking they're same-sex attracted or want to turn themselves as gay. It's imperative that the church becomes a place of welcome, that kids can come and talk about this stuff. Mm. We've got to stop ignoring it. We need the church to be the place they come to to talk about it, not with any great goals and expectations of their future, just that they know they are loved in the midst of what they're feeling. We're not asking for any blessings on their identity or anything else, just saying, we love you and we're here for you. Anyway, because I got that positive response from the lesbian and gay switchboard, I began to deeply, internally see myself as literally a gay man. So by the time I hit 17, I'm, I'm very camp at this stage. I'm very feminine in, in many, many ways. I've almost taken on my own twin sister's personality. And at high school, which was co-ed, if I was sort of getting picked on by the boys, my twin sister would come and fight the boys off. That's, <laughs> that was the, the kind of, you know, the characteristics of a lot of what was happening for us at school mm. then at that point. Um, so I was moving miles towards the feminine and rejecting the masculine mm. within me. At 17, I came out at school. I was the first guy in high school to do that. I then went to London and I threw myself basically into the gay lifestyle at that time. 
You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with James from England about his troubling and confusing childhood years. Next, we'll find out how, as a young adult in university, he was invited to a prayer meeting and things began to change. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome back to The Story. Once again, we want to remind parents that due to the adult themes being discussed today, this conversation is not recommended for young listeners. James from England is sharing his life story. Before the break, we heard about his troubled childhood, filled with abuse, and then about how he was living as a gay man in his university years, until one day he was invited to a prayer meeting and things began to change. James is sharing his story with Eric Scatterbo. What happened next is this. is So there I am. I've been in this um, committed, long-term gay relationship. Uh, and where... A part of me is coming alive. I, I've, I've met somebody who I can share my thoughts, my dreams, my my feelings with, etc. And, and he understands me. And this is really for the, one of the first times in my life I felt this. Clearly, I wouldn't be with him if I didn't feel something stronger than with other people. Because you had troubles having relationships with people of the same sex in deep, general. Deep, deep down, I mean, what happened is this, you see, because of my own adoption and, and some of the pain around my own adoption and then through the sexual abuse during my childhood, etc., is uh, really the whole understanding of of masculine and masculinity in the men's world was very frightening to me mm-hmm. even though here i was as a male etc and uh, you know i'd always run for the girls parts in plays at school and different things i was very creative i was very musical i was linguistic i was very artistic so i just sort of in a sense i hid behind what some might call a creative bend in some way or other but deep in my heart because i was born male i was still hungry for the masculine and steve had been a soldier um, in the british army and i was this kind of sort of feminine little thing really that that he kind of felt for me and I fell for him and and his story is another conversation altogether nevertheless I was invited to the prayer meeting but what what changed in it was this is I was invited to come and know more about God's love now my heart was hungry for love was attractive uh, very attractive to me and this is a man who I trusted who gave me his undivided attention uh, he was gracious towards me it's difficult for me to explain that but look he just I just felt respected by him mm-hmm. and I didn't feel respected by that many people particularly but I knew his was a respect of the heart so I went along the long and short of it is this within three or four weeks I was invited to make a prayer of repentance which looks something like this Lord I'm sorry for any way and every way in which I have rejected your love, but I want your love. So whatever stands in the way, I am sorry. And Jesus, I choose that you come and live in me. Send me your Holy Spirit, that your very spirit would live within my own heart and life and would lead me. And and I didn't even reflect much on what I was praying. I just knew if this was going to be a doorway to more love, I want more love, and that's it. Yeah, so I mean, this was about getting more love that's about from more your love. heavenly father yeah, this was nothing but nothing to do with my sexuality mm-hmm. to do with my relationship it was just do you want more of jesus and mm-hmm. i just said look lord if there's anything that stands in the way i'm sorry i give you permission to come with your love now i felt nothing and i mean nothing so a couple of days later my friend who'd been there the friday night monday morning said how did you enjoy friday i said yeah it was okay so oh, it's a great night people you know they gave their lives to jesus etc And I said, well, I felt nothing. He said, okay, well, now this is called stepping out in faith. I said, what does that mean? He said, 
you've got to believe that what you ask for, that God will fulfill that. I said, and so what have, I, what have I got to do? And in many ways, that's where my journey of discipleship really began. He said, prayer is imperative. If you've asked God for a relationship, you've got to give him the opportunity now to grow in it. I said, so what do I do? He said, you spend two minutes a day being quiet. And I'm going to ask you each day at uni whether you've done your two minutes. It literally began for me as two minutes. Wow. And I began two minutes a day. By the end of week number two, I'd almost got it to three minutes. By the end of week number three, it got to about four, even five minutes. And all I know is this is about week number six, I'd got it to eight minutes of my sitting down and being still. Now, if you'd known me at the time, I was like, somebody once called me, described me as a mouse on acid, which means <laughs> it's sort of a hard drug. I was bouncing off everything. Um, so for me to be still was quite a miracle. But I was being still and inviting God to come and meet me. He said, Lord, just come and meet me. So I was invited to pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. So I did. The long and short of it is this, is in a sense it was like veils were began to be taken off my eyes within a, a period of some months as I began to step away from the erotic, sexualized world that I'd been living in for the past mm. 12 whatever years, 12, 14 years. And I began to see that Steve was looking to me to find resolution around his masculine identity that I was looking to for him. So there's a void that you're trying to have filled. That's right. Through... Intimacy with others, really. Right. We, and, we, and actually a hunger for masculinity. That's what right. you shared with me before we started to record. So you're wanting to get that void of masculinity filled. That's right. But instead but, of doing the way God designed, you're trying to fill it through another Another male, avenue, that's another right. Avenue, another male who was never designed to fill up that that's void. Right. So, 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 deep, so, so deep down, I'm running to this, I'm running to something created to say, give me everything that deep down I wanted from the creator through healthy, appropriate relationships as a child. I didn't get that. Or if what I didn't either didn't get it or I actually had that what I did get absolutely crippled and crushed through a lot of the abuse mm. that I then stuffed down and hid down and just hid under, in a sense, um, a balm, for want of another word, of alcohol and pornography, etc. But suddenly here I was, the light of Christ was able to be shone into my darkness and I began to see, that, that line in Amazing Grace hit me even on the way here to this interview, you know, I once was blind but now I see. But the difference for me was this, when I began, when I finished with Steve, I could finish the relationship with him because I had a community of believers who loved me and who knew my life journey. And they weren't making any issue at all about my sexuality or about my past. The one thing they, they were spurring me on about was my intimacy with Jesus. They were calling me into towards Jesus and they were being transparent and vulnerable about their own brokenness which meant that I could be transparent and vulnerable whenever God was showing me where I was broken or where I was hurting or where I felt weak or for, when I was messing up they would say yeah I mess up too let's go together to the cross mm. let's go together to God's word you know let's take that thought in your mind and see what God says about that and I had to learn as St. Paul says to take every single thought captive every single thought so if I thought well I was wrong I should never have been born God's word came back to me and said but you are fearfully and wonderful made mm, and amen. said you're not just born of human sperm you're born of the eternal word of god god spoke you into being james and therefore you have purpose and literally it's like these it's like my my heart had been glad wrapped cling film just wrapped around with tin foil and and i just couldn't access it and the lord began to peel it back in prayer in prayer ministry and prayer council and through the wisdom and the advice of others and hanging around that community now we should say that the same-sex attraction was only one aspect. Obviously, you were a wounded person from the sexual abuse and other feelings of abandonment. Absolutely. So you had a lot of issues that you needed your Heavenly Father to heal you in. That's right. Now, he wasn't asking me to pretend 
or to kid myself or anybody else that I wasn't same-sex attracted. I was totally same-sex attracted. But he asked me to see myself as his child who just happened to be fully same-sex attracted. And my prayer became, literally, Father, make me into the man that you created me to be. My body was, shows me that I, have, I was biologically male, but my voice sounded very feminine and my walk was feminine and I was scared stiff of anything and everything that was masculine really that was my journey so I that became my prayer I wasn't praying to be healed of uh, of anything I just wanted to be who God had created me mm -hmm. to be as I'd said Lord if there's any love I'm missing out of remove whatever's stopping that love from coming my way and bring it to me and I went on an incredible journey then and that journey took me back to face both my the teacher who'd abused me and mm -hmm. sent me back to find the older friend of the family who'd abused me and I also went in search of my birth parents. And I had a real strong sense that the Lord was asking me to step into my fear and to go back and face the past. And what he was saying to me is this, and that's God's word in Joel 2.25. He said, I want to restore to you, James, the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Mm. I went back and I faced both of my abusers and I extended a hand of forgiveness towards them. And let me say this, this does not mean I let them off the hook. Mm -hmm. And it means that and it doesn't in any way diminish the seriousness of what they did to me. What it did mean is I refuse to be kept bound to your sinful actions towards me so that I have life stolen from me. Please understand that if people listen to this. It's not that you let people off the hook. No child in any way should be sexually touched or abused or manipulated in any way, shape or form whatsoever. This was about my freedom. Um, I also went back and found my blood parents. And this is very significant. I, I met with my mother my my birth mother and i'm pleased to say that today this very day my mothers get on famously and often go out for dinner mm -hmm. and that was a very healing time but in the midst of that then as well i felt the lord was calling me back to face my birth father and this is very significant for me as a male now what i didn't mention is my father had been a foreign student i'm actually half syrian so i i'd got very minimal information about my circumstances of my birth and i literally had a few details and knew my dad's name was ahmed so 12 years after I began this search, I ended up going to the Middle East and I ended up within 48 hours finding my father in a wow. Middle Eastern city, which was a divine story in and of its own right. But this is what happened is I literally, I met with him very briefly for a couple of minutes in his work situation where he couldn't really acknowledge me. Although when our eyes met, we both knew, we just mm. knew. I handed a letter to him and he arranged to meet me the next day. And when he met me the next day, he walked up to me and he looked me straight in the eyes, deeply and intensely. And then he embraced me and he kissed me on both cheeks. And then he said to me in a bold voice into my ear, I am proud of you for coming here and finding me. Hmm. Now, he gave me three things. He gave me his attention. His arms and his kisses gave me his affection. And his words gave me his affirmation. At that time, I'd come to a place having gone through much restoration and repenting of all sorts of vows that I'd made around my heart, that I'd actually moved from a place of being 100% same-sex attracted to going through a phase where I was almost asexual. It's like a restoring mm. of my childhood where I could learn just to be with people for the sake of being with them. But then what happened out of that is as I demystified men and males and masculinity, of course, we're created by one who is mysterious, God himself, and we're created for mystery to long for him 
And he reflects that in the complementarity of male and female. And so overnight, and again, nobody warned me about this, and I was pretty shocked, but then I started to fancy women. Mm. So I began to see their long hair, I began to smell them, I began to see their curves and thought, whoa, what's happening here? I was scared stupid. So you were <laughs> kind of like a teenager. But, well, that's uh, exactly what it was. It was like all the, all the lads going, girls, I hate girls, I hate girls, I hate girls. And wow, she's really quite cute. And I don't know how to deal with her. So here I was suddenly finding myself in my mid-30s, well, my, my actually, it was my early 30s, I was beginning to find myself attracted towards women, and nobody really warned me about this. Now, do you think this was as your healthy relationships with other males increased? That's right. Then the, the need to fill that masculine void decreased? That's right. Well, what happened is I was no longer, I, I'd no longer got, my heart wasn't covered in walls and gates and towers and all these all these veils that stopped mm-hmm. me from being able to really just engage with the guys like the guys they were no longer a threat to me i didn't feel like i was in any way lesser to them i didn't feel threatened by them i just came to realize and have an understanding that really i am i'm a guy like the rest of the guys mm-hmm. so i basically embraced that rather than starting to go with my feelings and my thoughts and anything else that that often people are asked to go with today and i'm not asking to ignore those feelings and thoughts but i am asking them to bring those thoughts into captivity before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have to say about what I'm thinking? What do you have to say about what I'm feeling? And that's what I'd learned to do. So here I was. And by the time I ended up going to the Middle East to meet with my father, I'd been dating a woman for three years. And through the through my own prayer life, God was showing me, look, be patient with yourself, persevere. I'm working on you. I'm doing a work on you. And you know, I can say this is my life is in a place that I never, and I mean never, expected it to be. This is nothing to do with me. This is literally a divine work. This is a work of God. And what's even more beautiful than that is, even though I'll mess up, you know, as I had in the past and may continue to do so, God's love is still there for me. His mercy is there for me. And I honestly and truly believe that the best is yet to come. And that includes eternity. James, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for listening. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with James from England about the amazing journey of transformation and healing that has taken place in his life. It's truly remarkable how God has reached down and touched his life in a miraculous way. And if anything you've heard in today's conversation has raised issues in your life that you'd like prayer about, our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's one 800 We would love to pray for you at one 800 Well, thanks for joining us for today's conversation about some pretty serious issues. I pray that it has been helpful in understanding what others have gone through. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. And I remember as a nine-year-old kid, they pulled up at this place. It was a boys' prison, and they had all these barbed wires everywhere. And I remember they opened the door, my, my heart was going 100 miles an hour, and they marched me down to prison cells. They stripped me naked. And I remember as a 19-year-old kid, I jumped on the bed and got hold of my pillow, and I rocked side to side, saying to myself, if they let me out now, I won't run away again. Peter Lyndon James was living as a hardened criminal until God's love eventually broke through and completely changed the direction of his life. He's now the founder of Shalom House, a drug rehabilitation centre in WA, and has been featured on the ABC's Australian Story. We'll hear his remarkable story of transformation next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.